You know, it is the hardest, funnest, most terrible, exciting, (laughs) and stressful job I've ever had. And the reason I describe it that way is, like, like you could be at the top of the world one day, and then you're like wallering around in the muck the next day trying to figure it out. Having said that, it's like I wouldn't do anything different. This is Jeff Burningham, and welcome to the Extraordinary Us podcast, where I get to talk to friends and people that you may or may not have heard of, and we get to talk about important things. We talk about life. Let me remind you a couple tenets of the podcast. Number one, no matter our differences, and we're all different, although the guest that I have today, and we both have the same haircut, the best haircut. (laughs) With glasses. But we're all different. Some of us have hair. Some of us just have the beautiful bald head. Uh, But no matter our differences, we're all a lot more alike. So therefore, number two, let's have more compassion for each other. Uh, We live in a world that is so competitive and constantly tearing each other down and comparing. Let's have compassion. More compassion, less comparison. And then lastly, I think that uh, we make too many decisions based on a fear. Let's make decisions from a position of strength, from a position of faith. I think we'll all have better lives if we do that. I'm excited to have a good friend, and like I said, a really good haircut in the podcast with me today, Blake Modrzycki. Blake. Hey, thanks for having me, Jeff. And uh, yes, absolutely a great haircut. And for those of you out there that would like to like a haircut, Jeff and I can can give you some pointers. Yeah, yeah. We can help you out with that. <laughs> no doubt about it. For sure. Let me tell you a little bit about Blake and then we're going to get into it. Uh, you may or may not have heard of him. If you are in finance, if you're in business here in the state of Utah, you have definitely heard of him. I would call Blake kind of the godfather. Is that okay? Of venture capital sure. here in Utah or sure. something like that. Something like that. When, when I started started my firm and I started my fund and was thinking about it. Gosh, was that almost 10 years? I guess I started angel investing significantly about 10 years ago. We started the fund about seven or eight. Blake was the first call I made or one of them. I remember sitting in the peak offices right down here. Do you remember that? In the Riverwoods? And Blake gave me some great advice. Um, So he is the managing partner of Pelion Venture Partners. We'll talk a little bit about Pelion today. Most importantly, he's a, he's a girl dad. Three girls. Three girls. Yeah. Three daughters. And it's the best. Yeah. How's that been? You know, uh, I grew up on a farm. So having three daughters, uh, you know, my wife used to coach me on, you don't solve their problems. They just want to talk to you. (laughs) You just listen. Yeah. And now I have three grandsons. And so now I'm like trying to figure (laughs) that side of the equation out. Yeah. So you're a grandpa too now. Yeah. Do the farm animals, do they just want you to listen as well? Or do they want you to solve their problems? (laughs) (laughs) Well, as a farmer, we just like, you know... Get stuff done. Yeah, get them done. You know, they, my my partners joke with me that I like, I need to stop saying, "Hey, the you know we're just moving pipe. We're just moving pipe. <laughs> you know, don't leave the field until the work's done." And they all just kind of look at me like, "Could you go home?" <laughs> yeah, and that was in Idaho, right? Yeah, far, where in Idaho? Little town called Bancroft, up in southeastern Idaho, okay. near Lava Hot Springs, Pocatello okay. area. So, yes, yeah. I feel like I've heard of it, but I've never been there. Do you ever? Do you have family there still, or do you go back, or is that like kind of? Yeah. Gone now, or no, is the was, farm still there? I was just up there this weekend, so my parents still live up there. My sister and brother-in-law still live up there. So yeah, the the farm is alive and well, and 
And uh, my brother-in-law now runs it. My, my mom and dad are retired, but it, uh, it's a lot cool. of fun. That's cool. Do you lay pipe? When's the last time you laid pipe, Blake? Let me see your hands. Look at those it, soft, supple yeah. hands. It, 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 it has been a long time. Uh, you know, for those of you who, who don't know what moving pipe is, they're about 40 feet long and about four inches around and filled with water and mud. And you pick them up and haul them across and hook them yeah. back up and water squirts you in the face. You're doing it early in the morning. Yeah, it's a treat. Yeah, <laughs> sounds fun. But that's sometimes how startups are. Like oh you're just gosh. hauling crap around. Sorry, getting for, squirt, you know, sure. surprises all here and there. For sure. So yeah, Blake now is is a very well known venture capitalist here in the state. We've partnered on several deals together just to get that out of the way. And you know, we've done I don't weave and MX and Divi and several oh, others gosh. that people have heard Maybe, of. Yeah, and, I think. Over a dozen, I would suspect. Yeah, yeah. So it's been a fun ride, but I'm really excited to have Blake in here. And I, I wanted to... So let's start with farm. I didn't plan to start here, but that's... Are there things that you take from the farm? Because probably farm to venture capitalists is probably pretty close to as far away as you can kind of get, I would assume. Um, but do you bring some of those principles? What principles did you learn kind of farming, growing up on a farm that you now bring into your career as a, as a venture capitalist? Well, yeah. If you think about farmers, first of all, they're they're entrepreneurs. Yeah, that's true. And um, I'll, I'll give a quick. They're little risk takers. Oh, total yeah. risk takers. I'll give a little story because I think it relates to a startup. You know, everything could be working perfectly well, and then there's a an event that happens, and and now all of a sudden you got to figure life out. On a farm, you know, I remember uh, I'm cutting hay. <laughs> you know, our, our crops are like over a hundred bushels today. Everything looks great. And I look up and I see this dark cloud coming down the mountain or down the valley. And I'm like, Oh crap. <laughs> August, it's 90 degrees outside. The clouds open up, hail hits the ground. Oh. It wiped us out completely. Really? And oh, by the way, it just came through my, you know, like they come through in these like right down my, the valley or micro bursts. Yeah. My dad was in town, no idea. I got to go call him on the phone. I said, Dad, we just got wiped out. Wow. Uh, you know, that's one of those things where, like, with a startup, I, I think as an entrepreneur, you just got to kind of look at it and go, you know what? Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and and march forward because there's not a choice. Yeah. Like, like, we didn't have a choice to, like, quit and go get a job. We, like, had to figure it out. Yeah. No, and that's definitely the case often in startups. What's it like being a venture capitalist? You know, I think I think there's this idea that being a venture capitalist is super sexy, I'll say. Again, going back to our haircuts. But, yep. but, but you know, there's the, kind of this, obviously, this glamour and allure to being an entrepreneur, to being a venture capitalist. Obviously, I have a lot of experience in both those um, arenas. But I want to ask you, what you know, t- tell me about, tell tell our listeners about what being a venture capitalist is really like, you know? You know, it is the hardest, funnest, most terrible, exciting, <laughs> and stressful job I've ever had. And the Man. reason I describe it that way is, you, like, like you can be at the top of the world one day, and then you're, like, wallowing around in the muck the next day trying to figure it out. Having said that, it's, like, I wouldn't do anything different. I, I you know, I was given this opportunity back in 96 to be a venture capitalist, and it's just been the most exciting ride. But you're you're spot on. We we have this running joke, you know, everybody wants to be a venture capitalist. 
but I don't think they fully understand <laughs> what that means. It's not like we yeah. wake up every morning and, you know, money falls out of the sky. <laughs> it doesn't just rain yeah. dollars at the Matarzycki household. <laughs> yeah, no. And the, the other thing I would say is, uh, gosh, the rides, especially in earlier stage, which you kind of span the gamut. And I want to talk to you a little bit about Pelion strategy. But, um, man, when you early stage invest, like I've done a lot of and you have as well, that's a long ride. People don't understand that, like, they see the podium buildings or the MX, Divi, the whatever buildings, you you understand those companies started seven to 10 years ago, most of them. That's a long ride to get there. You're signing up. It's almost like a marriage, right? Like you're signing, when you invest in an entrepreneur, you are partnering for the long term. Oh, ab- absolutely. In 2009, we put two hundred or $800,000 into this little company called Cloudflare. Yeah. It was, it was three founders out of Harvard. <laughs> And not was, so small anymore. Not yeah. so small anymore. And, you know, our original thesis was firewall in the cloud. You know, yeah. cloud was just becoming reality. You know, we thought we'd sell this thing to like Symantec for a couple hundred million dollars. Mm-hmm. Well, you can go out today and, you know, that, that company has a 30 plus billion dollar market cap. But it was a decade journey with that business to yeah. get it there. And so many twists and turns along the way. Um, but, yeah. What it, year did they go public? You know, public in 2019. So, and you invested in 2008. So, yeah. 11 years to just even going public. And then, by the way, before it starts, quote unquote, rainy money or you make money, <laughs> you're locked up now for a period of time, just so people understand when you're kind of an insider, you're even restricted even further past that. So, you have 11 years plus whatever time based on the deal. Yeah. So, these are long term deals. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, at a minimum, you're locked up for six months. But then on top of that, we owned 20% of that, of that company. So, you know, if, if the trading volume, call it, they're trading a million shares a day and we're holding 50 plus million shares, it's not like you can <laughs> dump those all on the public market at yeah. the same time. No, you just like got to figure this. So you're in at another year plus, if not two years after the lockup comes off. Yeah. Just to just to distribute that. Yeah. So you said that there are ups and downs. You know, you never know what's going to happen. I totally agree, which makes it fun, uh, but also makes it challenging. What what? Uh, but you said you wouldn't do anything else. So what's the best part? What's your favorite part, or some of your favorite parts of being a venture capitalist? You know, I, I'd say relationships. Yeah. What you're I, good at those, by the way, Blake. <laughs> Te- real quick, before it's so a relationship, teach us how do you? I, I, I mean, I'm saying that sincerely. I think that venture is kind of a team sport, isn't it? I mean, this is something that I learned that I didn't appreciate when I launched a venture fund seven or eight years ago. I didn't understand kind of the team aspect of this. You want other venture capitalists to be on the cap table with you. You want other people to be rowing. You can never have enough fighters in your corner when you're a startup. So you want other fighters, other rowers, other money people kind of in your corner, right? So it's a little bit of a team sport. So relationships are critical. And Blake, I think you're great at those. What's your key to success? (laughs) I ask the hard questions. Yeah. You know, I, what I'd say is, so I, I grew up loving sports and I was always an average athlete (laughs) and I knew that I needed you know, I needed in football, I needed a center, a guard, a tight end. Like I needed those guys to be good. And also I needed them to block for me. Yeah. I needed my point guard to pass me the ball. So you could shoot it. So I could shoot it. And yeah. I wasn't very good. And then I need somebody <laughs> to rebound it because I'd usually miss. <laughs> and so like like at early age, I just like I enjoyed people. So I roll forward to today and 
early in my career, I learned some extremely valuable lessons that, you know, like friends like to work with friends and, and people can like understand if you're being friends to be friends or if you're, if you have an alternative motive. And this was kind of, kind of trumped by it. There, there's this great book out there. It's called The Go-Giver and it's like a hundred pages. And I, I'm not a big business book guy, but I started reading it. And what came out of it was this guy who was the go-giver. All he was interested in is giving, giving into the ecosystem of success and friendship with expecting nothing in return. And it's amazing how much comes around. People know when you're being their friends and you're not genuine. So I always think about, ah, you know. How can you help someone else? How can, How can I, you serve? That's really what networking is about, I think, right? Yeah. Like you, when you speak of networking in a business sense, you're thinking of whatever, you know, a, a networking lunch, an event, a conference. But really what I've found, and I'm not the best at this, but I've tried and tried to get better. It's really about serving or creating value for the other person. Wouldn't you say that's what the key to networking? 100%. You know, my, my, my mom used to say, you can catch more bears with honey than you can with vinegar. Yeah. And I used to think, who the hell wants to catch bears? Let's start there. <laughs> you were on a farm. <laughs> I was on a farm, you know, but I understand it. You know, like think about if you're spewing vinegar at somebody, they're going to come back hard at you. Yeah. You know what? If you're figuring out something and this is the honey component of it, you know, you can usually navigate through some pretty difficult situations if you're just trying to be gracious in all of it. And so... The best part about being a VC is I've made some lifelong friends that I never would have. You know, Jeff, you're a great example. You know, you and I met through this, yeah. and the evolution of where our relationship is today is very different than the day one we started. So. Yeah, no, that is that is. A, I think that's the richness of almost everything in life. Really, yeah. is the relationships. It's such a balance. This results versus relationships. And when you're a Type A personality like I am, and I think you are too, Blake. It's sometimes it's hard. You got to keep those in balance. You always want the result. It's hard not to go for the result, but sometimes that hurts relationships. And really, in the end, the result you really want are these relationships. I totally agree with you, and I mean it sincerely. I'm not just. I think that. I mean, you have a fantastic reputation in the state and outside of the state as just someone who's beloved, you know, by entrepreneurs and people that you do business with. So I think you do a great job at that. Well, you're, you're, you're very gracious. So <laughs> thank you. I, sometimes I wake up in the morning, I'm like, oh man, what am I doing? <laughs> doesn't every, doesn't everyone, no matter what you're doing, I think no matter what success you've had, you know, I talk to every sort of person on this podcast, all of us have mornings where we wake up like, what in the world is going on? And am I doing the right thing? And it's, you know, I certainly have felt that before I felt that running for governor. But anyways, what's the worst part? What's the heart, you know, so relationships, obviously it can be very lucrative if you do it right. And if you have a long-term perspective, what's the worst part? Just the flip side of that is like we make decisions and oh, by the way, failure is a big part of what we do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've had to shut companies down and, you know, you kind of look at it, you know, okay, look, the, it just didn't work and we're all going to be fine. But what sits behind those entrepreneurs, those employees, are families. Yeah. And I think about that. I, I, I had to shut a company down one time, lay off 200 employees December 1st, Ugh. no money for severances. Yeah. We paid out accrued vacation 
just before the holidays. Yeah. And I, I, I just, I like, I was sick to my stomach because I knew exactly, like, it's less about the person sitting across the table for me talking to, and it's that spouse, those children. Yeah. That's the worst part about this business. Yeah. Yeah. For, so for those of you who don't know, I mean, the way that, I'm speaking generally. The way that most venture capitalists are successful and make money is they have these outsized returns like a Cloudflare. I'll just use that as an example. Or one of the first investments my fund made here in Utah, Podium. Some people may know that. Where you invest really early, Podium was two guys. How many people were at Cloudflare when you invest? Three. Three. Yeah. And, and they just hit it out of the park, right? Like home run. But you offset those with a lot of losses or a lot of base hits or singles or companies that struggle to even return capital. Um, and so that is hard. There's a, you know, you, you hear of all these big, exciting companies for every one of those, there's a handful of others that aren't as big as exciting, don't make it, but they're still, uh, run by great people that you develop relationships oh, with. Absolutely. I mean, one, one of our, one of our failures, uh, a local company here in Utah, CEO, close, close friend. And I remember sitting with him when we were going to make the investment. And I said, look, you and I are going to be fine, but your wife and my wife are very good friends. If this doesn't work, <laughs> we can't let that affect them. And like, it was an interesting, you know, we both agreed when it didn't work, we both kind of looked at each other and said, all right, you know what? What we're going to focus on here is our wives need to stay friends. And by the way, they're still good friends to today, but I always appreciated that because had nothing to do with the entrepreneur. When companies fail, it's usually, uh, you know, wrong timing, wrong, wrong market. Yeah. yeah. You know, market adoption, product market fit. Yeah. You know, my, my partner, Jim Dreyfus invested in something in like the early nineties, which was actually Apple iTunes before Apple iTunes, <laughs> huge failure. Yeah. Look at what happened with Apple iTunes. <laughs> it was just a little early. Yeah, it was totally. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah, timing is so much. Um, so I, I didn't really plan to do this, but I, I think this is, I hope this is interesting. A lot of the feedback I've been getting on the podcast is we love the variety of guests. You have experts from all these different fields. So I want to talk a little bit more about venture. So a venture capitalist, by the way, goes out and raises money. We're not going to talk a lot about that because there are some rules around that and et cetera. But to have a fund, you've got to get money, right? Usually the venture capitalists themselves, like myself and Blake, you invest in your own funds, but you really go raise money. So that's a big part of venture that maybe you don't understand. And you raise from high net worth individuals, you raise from large institutions or pension funds, et cetera. Is there anything you want to say about this, Blake? Oh, it. Yeah, it's because how, how much time do you spend fundraising? Maybe that's a better, like a hundred percent of your venture time. Maybe this would be an instructive question. How much of that is spent on fundraising? So, so during the fundraise, the cycle, a hundred percent of my time. Yep. Off cycle, about 30% of my time. Okay. And, and it's, it's relationship building, it's returns, it's what's different about you compared to every other venture firm out there. And, you know, sometimes they're checking boxes like the the LPs. They invest. Coming back to relationships, if everybody looks the same, they're going to invest because you fostered and developed a relationship. And it's like it's it's hard and rewarding all at the same time. 
Yeah. And, and so blended, maybe that's 50% of your time fundraising. I'm saying overall, Oh yeah. then you got to go find the deals, which is the key, right? You want to try to get into the best, hottest deals. And that takes an inordinate amount of time, especially by your team, um, to find the best deals. What do you look for when you're looking for, I, I often, of course, as an, an investor myself, I often have people say, what, what's important? How do I get funded? You know, what are you looking for? What would you say to the entrepreneur, Blake, that says, what do you, what is Pelion looking for? Maybe not specifically, but give us a high level. Um, what's Pelion looking for in the companies and the entrepreneurs that you back? You know, it, it's really three things that we boil it down to because we have so much imperfect information because we invest <laughs> at such an early stage. Yeah. You know, start off with how big is the market? You know, so as an entrepreneur, if it's like a sub billion dollar market, that's probably not going to get a VC excited because you have failures that you have to offset. Yep. Second one is how disruptive. You know, we invest in this company called Riverbed Technologies. And uh, the first meeting I had with the CEO, he said, we speed data up faster than the speed of light. Now, think about that for just a minute. Physics will tell you that's impossible. <laughs> but making that kind of statement, I was like, all right, I'm super intrigued. Yeah. Because Cisco already does data movement. Yeah. But that's where he started. And then I'd say you know, the third thing is, can this team execute against the opportunity? Yeah. And it doesn't mean you need to have a full management team. In fact, like the Podium guys or the Cloudflare. Yeah, there's yeah. a couple of people. So you know you're going to have to help them build out a management team. So those are really the three things that we look at. And then ancillarily, that's even a word. <laughs> Jeez. It, it is. You know, it my, is on the farm. Yeah. That's my, a word. <laughs> my, my daughter and kids will, will say to me, Dad, when we go to Idaho, your Idaho drawl really kicks in. So I'm just going to put a pin and say, that's my Idaho drawl that just kicked in. I like that. And, and it's like, you know, uh, like how, how can you like add to their story? How can you help them build that and build these, you know, Great big companies. So. Yeah. So then you're looking for the best deals and then, la well, maybe not last, but, and then you're nurturing and working with these deals. Yeah. You're going on, you're sitting on boards for sometimes years or decade plus, a long time. You're, you're nurturing, you're building, you're growing. And then hopefully at some point or time, whether it's if the company goes public or sells, you're exiting and then returning cash back to your investors. Yeah. That's kind of the life cycle of a VC. Boards are really critical. I, I know, uh, gosh, one time in my life, three or four years ago, I was on like 20 plus boards, Blake. It was, it was my own fault. It was ridiculous and way too much. You've sat on a number, I mean, many, many boards, probably even more than me. W what in your experience makes a good board member? Or what have you learned from serving on these boards? Yeah. Some of the most important things. I, I'd say the most important thing is you work for the CEO and for the company. You know, and early on in my career, I had, uh, you know, he's like one of the, the godfathers of, of VC. He said, don't be a pigeon board member. And I'm like, what is a pigeon board member? Fly in, shit all over the place and fly back out. <laughs> By the way, I don't know if I can swear on the uh, podcast. You can, hey, so, you just did. You so, and Susan Peterson, <laughs> I think, are the only two people. That's great. Well, I listened to Susan and she said a couple of words. So <laughs> yeah. I'm like, all right, I'm, uh, you I'm, can do I'm, it. I'm protected. Yeah. I'm under the Susan Peterson uh, <laughs> cone of I want to be like her. Yeah. But uh, bottom line is, like, you need to be – the board meetings are just an event. What are yeah. you doing between board meetings that's helpful? Yeah. And we actually at, at Pelion, we limit 
uh, each partner can sit on a maximum of eight boards. That's that's smart. Yep. And, yeah, that's great. And sometimes we just go, that's even too many. It is. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, I think that's really critical. One of the ways that I've, when I know that I had been doing a good job on a board was when the CEO or the founder was quick to call me with bad news or just as quick as good news. It's really, it's not really, once you take investment, by the way, you're sitting on the same side of the table. Maybe before, you know, that's a little bit of negotiation. There's a little bit of jockeying, you know, which firm do you want to take money from? But then once you agree and take, you really go on the same side of the table. So the point is, don't be afraid to share bad news. And and when I had entrepreneurs and founders that were able and willing to quickly share bad news with me, I felt really good about that. You know what I mean? hundred percent. You know, when, when they treated us like partners instead of adversaries, the world changes and it's interesting. I, I, I mean, I watched my wife fill out Christmas cards and she's still sending Christmas cards to companies I backed in the (laughs) nineties. Because she got she got to be friends with their wives at, yeah. at, at annual meetings and yeah, it's it's great. Blake's wife is amazing, by the way. Just a quick shout out and sidebar. Sandy, she's unbelievable. If you know Blake, you might you probably know Sandy. She's an unbelievable Instagram follow, by the way. <laughs> she is. She's super entertaining. I can't imagine though Sandy really on the farm. Like is she <laughs> she is she she's not really a farm girl, is she? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. She's not. Okay, we'll leave it at that. Have you guys heard of Under Your Bed? I bet you have by now. If you're listening to the Extraordinary Us podcast, I bet you've searched for it maybe and haven't been able to find it. It's true. Isn't that how life is sometimes? (laughs) (laughs) You just can't find what you're searching searching. for. Constantly searching. Well, now you can. Now we've been found. Under Our Bed is finally out. It's really there, people. So type it in right now. Search it up. You're going to love it. Look for it live. Subscribe and tell your friends. Can't wait to have you there with Jeff and Sal. Providing the comedy relief. (laughs) Good night, Sal. Good night, Jeff. So tell us a little bit more about Pelion. Obviously, it has a long history, kind of way back in the day, spun out a novel. I don't really want to go through that whole history, but whatever, whatever you'd like to say, Blake. But what about what's happening now? You recently partnered or took over, I'm just going to say, a crypto blockchain fund from Jonathan Johnson here locally at Overstock uh, Medici Ventures. Yep. And um, you're doing some early stage stuff with some of the Josh and Ryan and some of the well-known up-and-coming founders, Todd. I don't want to leave anyone out. Jeff Curls running that kind of for you. What is your strategy? It, it is hard to do really early, middle, you know, t- t- just enlighten us on kind of what you're seeing in the in the markets and, and your strategy at Pelion right now. Yeah. So just real quick, Novell Ventures, which I ran from 96 to 2002. Which was kind of internal, right? To yeah, Novell. It, was, it was. You were 100% internal, all balance sheet money. My former partner, Jim Dreyfus, who retired several years ago with Utah Ventures, brought those things together in 2002 to create what is now Pelion. So there's the origin. Got it. Roll forward to today, and uh, Jeff Curl had this great idea of partnering with with Ryan Smith, Josh James, Todd Peterson to create, we call it precedent, and it's focused on C-Stage investing in Utah, and it's, it's fabulous. It's the, those guys are a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, what, what makes a great entrepreneur is is a, a, a tad bit of craziness and <laughs> Love them to death. Um, and then when you get them all together, it's, yeah. you know, it's a lot of craziness. Oh, for yeah, sure. It's fun. They're, yep. they're fantastic. 
And then uh, Jonathan Johnson with Overstock. Uh, interesting enough, side note, I actually shared an office with Jonathan's wife back in the Word Perfect days in the early mm-hmm. 90s. I didn't know that. Jonathan was in law school. I was going to BYU uh, getting a, an economics degree. So known him for a long time. And they had a corporate venture fund and they were trying to figure out what to do with it. And through a series of conversations, Jonathan's like, look, we'd like to spin this thing out. Have you guys manage it for us? We want to be the LP and partner with you guys. It's this really interesting. Uh, and, and we hired a guy named Matt Mossman. Matt was the senior vice president of corporate development at Oracle. Mm-hmm. So like an unbelievable uh, investor. So he runs that for us. And it, it's all blockchain and crypto. Yeah, which is really exciting right now. Right? So, and, and like beyond the Wild West. I was going to say it's like the Wild West. It's it's mind-blowing. Oh. Just what's It's like the Wild West times 10 or whatever with yeah. a lot of zeros added to it. What, what do you think about blockchain and crypto right now? You know, it's impossible to keep up on. It's ever-changing. What are your thoughts as a firm? That's not necessarily Pelion's expertise. And so what are your, what are your thoughts going into that space? And Well, when, when I think about blockchain, blockchain, I, it's like networking software on steroids. I mean, it's super interesting. Crypto, all I can say with crypto is guys like you and Scott Paul that are a lot smarter than us, we're going to leverage that. <laughs> I mean, I listen to Scott's podcast and I go, yeah, we, we have a lot to learn. <laughs> but having said that, it's coming. Like, it's here. Crypt, crypto is going to be part of, of what we are. And so I think I think you have to figure out what's going on there. Super interesting on so many levels. Um, so So we have that going for us. And then uh, two of my partners, uh, uh, Chad Packard and Ben Lambert, um, they came to me back in, I think, 17 or 18 and said, we're, we're giving away too much at these pre-IPO rounds. Mm-hmm. And so we started doing uh, a pretty aggressive co-invest program where uh, we'd, we'd put a lot of money in. We kind of doubled down or tripled down or quadrupled down on our winners. And so when you kind of look at the strategy, it, it goes from this super early, early stage yeah. All the way through to exit, and uh, we we have the capability to kind of do that, which is very different than back in two thousand two, where yeah. like it was almost like maybe two or three checks into a company, and then we were tapped out, couldn't yeah. do it anymore. This is a this might be a hard question, but I want to ask: Does that worry you, Blake? Like, is that hard? Because it is hard to manage that full, very early stage kind of seed stage checks all the way to pre IPO deals. That's that spans the gamut. By the way, you go seed A B C D E whatever pre IPO, however many rounds there are. You know, that's those are different skill sets. You're now into crypto, et cetera. Does that keep you up at night? Is that hard? Do you feel like you can? span the gamut what other firms are you looking at that have maybe done that just curious your strategic thoughts around that uh it's 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 super hard like like back back when there was you know three or four of us making decisions and you know and all we did was early stage like that was that was a lot easier today um the hardest thing for me is getting out of the way of my partners you know because like like these guys are like racehorses you know, farm analogy for those of you who are farmers. If you if you pull on the reins of a horse and hold, they'll sit and, and flip their head. Yeah, and fight you. If you let the reins loose, they'll calm down and all is well. Yeah. And I have to like remind myself stop pulling on the reins because like there's certain skills that some of my partners have that like they're really good at it, and I need to let them go. So 
it's hard. I mean, our firm has grown from 10 people to, you know, over 25 people today. Yeah. And all of that is great and wonderful, but it, there's a lot of moving parts. Yeah. And it's fun. Yeah. So if you're managing the firm, like uh, Blake is, you also have all this, the internal dynamics of kind of a, a startup or a company. Obviously, there's a lot of administration as well, et cetera. So we can't, we can't pivot from venture without what is going on in Utah, Blake? Give, give people a flavor. Uh, obviously, I'm biased. I have my own thoughts. I'm, I'm trying really hard not to talk too much in this podcast because I've been a part of this and have my own thoughts. But, you know, I, so, you know, I started Peak Capital Partners, a large real estate investment firm. It, you know, it, we almost died. We almost did not make it because we started in 06, the Great Recession. Our, our strategy was to invest in, uh, distressed real estate, but it was so bad that we almost didn't make it. We did make it, came out pretty strong and on top. And when we finally had a little extra cash 10 years ago or so, you know, my partners and I got together and said, what should we, we have some extra money. Where should we invest it? And I said, I, I know exactly where we should, you know, there was an undersupply of good capital in the market at that time. I felt like in Utah and an oversupply of good entrepreneurs. So we went in strong to that. Um, now there is uh, so much more capital than there was even a decade ago. What's going on in Utah? Help people that are in the state and out of the state that are listening understand what are the, what's the secret sauce? What do you see going on in Utah that makes it so appealing? Give us your thoughts on the Utah venture and tech scene right now. Yeah. So 1996, when I first got into this, it was, it was like a barren wasteland. Crickets. Yeah. And, and by the way, I couldn't even like buy ski passes and give them to my friends in Silicon Valley to come over and like look at deals. They're like, yeah, we'll show up like Friday at three o'clock. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. So, so, so that was, that was like super hard. And, and, and like watching, you know, these, these you know, were perfect, Novell, Alteris, Amateur, Landis, like, like all of that. But when you roll forward to today, first of all, I give tons of credit to not only, you know, the guys like that we've already mentioned, but you throw Aaron Sconard and Brad Renter, like uh, Blake uh, Blake Murray and Brandon Rodman, like the list goes on of these guys that are built big companies. And you know we've looked at this thing. And there's a couple of ingredients. One is it used to be that people would be happy with selling off their company for fifty hundred million dollars. Yeah, there's a quick exit. Full stop. Kind of in Utah, yeah. Not anymore. Now you have Adobe and Oracle and Google, like all these companies are setting up big presence. Factor in the universities. Like when I was going to school, you know, what we were told to do is go get a job at like Ford Motor Company or somebody like that. Today, no, they're all, they all want to go be entrepreneurs. It's interesting to go talk to the university recruiting because they're like, we don't even know where the students are going because they're going to go do startups. They all want to be entrepreneurs. Yeah. And, and, the other thing is, you know, the the risk profile, like people are okay with like taking a chance and failing. One of the interesting things before we make an investment into any companies is I always try to go to dinner with the entrepreneurs and their plus ones, their mm -hmm. spouses, because mm -hmm. I want to understand if the spouse is ready for this journey. Yeah. So when I think about what's going on today, it's like the, 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 the you know, the light switch has flipped. And was it $30 billion in exits last year? I think I just read something. There was a, a billion dollars put into companies here locally. 
Um, it's, this year so far. Yeah, yeah. this year. It's, mm-hmm. And and then you know our our friends from the valley, our friends from the coast, they're all over here wanting to figure out how. They to don't even do need this. free ski passes now no, to come. No, no, they're coming. Yeah, they're here. They 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 call and say, "Can we use a conference room?" <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then of course I charge them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we always California rates, Silicon Valley rates. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think there's a special ingredient right now. You know, there's just like the right amount of density in Utah, or there has been. The ecosystem in Silicon Valley has been so competitive that you almost had companies constantly poaching from each other, and it was just so competitive. We definitely have some of that in Utah, but you know, it hasn't been so dense that it's been like survival of the fittest. There is definitely more of a team kind of aspect, I feel like, to our ecosystem. You know, my my friends from the valley that come over here, there's a constant thing is the entrepreneurs help each other here. Yeah. They care about each other. They may be competing like intensely, but you know what? They they stand at a soccer game with their kids and chat. They're friends. They go to dinner together. And that's that's unique. Yeah. And I think that's part of what has been successful over here is, you know. Uh, I mean, think think about them. The, these guys hang out. They own houseboats at Lake Powell together. They're they're friends. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy to think that um, you know, seven years ago when we started Peak Ventures, we were the first institutional venture fund in Utah County. Yeah. Right. And now, just the there's a plethora of funds. There's a lot of um, liquidity in markets from exits. Um, you know, we know about some of the big exits, but even other exits that are now causing what are some of the trends that you see in the future they're causing a lot of family offices or individuals i guess kind of like myself as angels to invest heavily into deals what are what do you see in the future give us the outlook um for utah tech and venture for the next decade i mean give us your best guesses or what are some of the most interesting trends and things that are happening well housing prices are out of control yep so there so there's that <laughs> I, and i don't see it slowing down at all yeah. and i think one of the interesting trends if if you think about silicon valley for just a minute the amount of angels that we're investing we've never really had the mass density of angels here yeah. but you know look across the companies that have gone public or exited the number of multimillionaires and by the way these guys are Men and women are hardcore, like they want to invest. I was on the phone with a couple of them last night on my drive home. They want to do some angel investing alongside us. I think that engine is just getting started. When I first got into the business, there was something called Utah Angels. Yeah. You know, it consisted of, you know, a couple dozen guys and that was it. Yeah. You know, and there's a little bit more of a country club feel. I'm not right. We know the guys who started; they're great investors, but it just was a little different than now. People are deploying, and they would write much smaller checks. Much People smaller. are deploying much more significant checks. Yeah, yeah. So I, I I see it continuing to grow. I see the angel network being, first of all, a super valuable thing that this state didn't have. Yeah, and I think I'll speak for Pelion. Like we're making a concerted effort to figure out um, how to partner with with the angel network have no interest in competing with them um, because I think I think it's such an important ecosystem to the overall success of, of, of where we go yeah yeah and that's the other ingredient that hasn't been in Utah when I started I, I started a startup out of BYU 20 years ago I graduated in 2001 
there was one game in town, V Spring Capital, basically, um, for early stage. And that is a lot different now. There's so much more capital than there has ever been here, which is another critical aspect to, of course, venture, but just tech growth. You burn a lot of money building technology companies and software companies uh, oftentimes, and you need that capital to have the runway in order to find product market fit or to reach scale or to surround yourself with the team you need to really grow. And so there's just more, that's one of the key ingredients to Utah that hasn't really been here and it's growing constantly is the amount of capital that's yeah and available by, by the way when you started peak in utah county i was super jealous as i drove from utah <laughs> county to salt lake to go to work i'm like crap i should go down there and like bum an office off yeah <laughs> no that's right yeah you were you've always been living down here your office has been yeah. at the cottonwood corporate center right yeah yep. yeah for sure but yeah no it's it the, the amount of capital what's interesting is um like there's a lot of silicon valley firms who have people who live here in Utah and, you know, they have a connection to Utah with COVID. They've kind of opened it up. A lot of people have moved here. So these firms have people running around. So I, I think it's, I think it's going to only look, it, it makes it more competitive for guys like you and I, Jeff, but I think it's good for the entrepreneurs. It's so good for the entrepreneurs. Which that's another key thing about venture that you made on our, like entrepreneurs are the star of the show, right? Like it's about the entrepreneurs. It's not about the venture capitalists. I mean, we're there with capital, we're there with support, et cetera, et cetera. But really it's about the CEOs or founders that are laying it on the line every day in their startups, right? I mean, you would hundred percent echo that. Yeah. Sure. No, I mean, if you think about it, you know, you and I are going to build a portfolio of 30 companies. Yeah. If, a third of them fail, we still have 20 shots on goal. An entrepreneur, it's one. One and done, yeah. One and done. And so like the amount of of pressure, and that's why we look at it and say, you know what, you got to work for those guys. And and the men and women that we've had the privilege of interacting with as entrepreneurs, you can see it. So what are you, what do you do as an investor to not add to that? And, uh, you know, part of what I've seen in my career is, you know, some venture capitalists that that think that, you know, if something goes wrong, they need to run the company. Like that's that's failure. You I know? agree. Yeah. I mean, we in in since 1996, we've had to step in and run one of our companies. And <laughs> it was a disaster. And yeah. that's why we my partner had to go be CEO and we're just like, oh no, we're yeah. we're really in trouble. Venture capitalists do not want to run your company. No. <laughs> they don't have time to. Again, <laughs> like Blake said, they have a portfolio of you know, I mean, yeah. I've invested in over a hundred deals, I think, here in Utah. I, I can hardly take the calls of my entrepreneurs, let alone like run the company. So it's critical. I've always thought that kind of one plus one equals three. That's what you're looking for in the oh. right investor partner. Yeah. And, and it, again, it shouldn't be adversarial, of course. There's a little jockeying, like I said, on the front end. But after an investment is made, you are both shoulder to shoulder rowing on the same side of the table trying to make things happen. And Blake, you have an illustrious uh, track record of that, which I admire. I'm going to pivot true to the entrepreneur form. I'm going to say uh -huh. pivot. I'm going to bridge us with a little bit more personal question and then two more to end it. And and this is a thoughtful question. I want you to think about this. So you have seen, you've seen investors fail, or sorry, you've seen entrepreneurs fail. You've seen investors succeed. There is more capital um, than has ever been in the state. I had lunch with Todd Peterson the founder of Vivint, oh, a week ago, we spoke a little bit about this. Tell me about the effect of money and success 
in your life, in entrepreneurs that you've seen, we're having more of that, more success, more capital. Give us, you know, like, what are your thoughts on that? How have you seen that affect people? Do you have any advice? It is some, something I'm concerned of, of, as someone who's had a little bit of success and have friends that have had a lot of success. It's something that I think is on our minds. It's something that we talk about when we get together. Uh, thoughts on this little more personal question. Yeah, you know, I, I, I call it a touchstone. Find your touchstone. What is your, that, that's going to keep you grounded? For me, it was uh, one of the first things my wife wanted to do was give money away. Like that's where we started. It wasn't buy a new car, buy a new house. It was we wanted to give money away. And, and when you put that in the forefront, I think it helps bring things into, into perspective in, in that, I mean, look, I, my success at Pelion is driven because I have an unbelievable wife, wonderful children, great partners. When you start believing that it's you, yeah. that, like, think about you as founders, you know, it's your co-founders, it's your employees, it's that kind of stuff. And so I, like, I worry sometimes that, that, so much wealth created at a young age for some of these these individuals. Yeah, they got to find their touchstone. And for us, it's we we try to be pretty thoughtful in being philanthropic in, in how we approach. And we've we've there are some some uh, organizations that are near and dear to our hearts that we actually are, are are we give a lot of money to because they are near and dear to our heart. So charitable giving is one of the Modrzewski's touchstones, right? That brings you back, which, which I agree. I think that's critical. I, I do worry about, you know, I, you see, um, a lot of success and good things with the money. A lot of that money, by the way, is recycled back into the ecosystem. You know, Todd and I and others, we're very committed, Blake as well, of course, of putting money back into the system. It's great, but it can be ruinous at times. It can be hurtful at times in personal lives or in families. And it is concerning. Oh, so, so concerning. It's heartbreaking. And that's why I think the angel community in a collaborative environment is so important because, you know, things that I learned from, you know, guys that are the generation in front of me and people who are the generation behind me, like that's super helpful. And so, you know, uh, you and Todd and, you know, the, the list goes on of these angel investors, how important you guys are to the ecosystem and to, to firms like us. And that's why we're trying to be thoughtful on, on, you know, making sure that, that you guys see, uh, us as a partner, because you're so, you're that important because you're, you're mentoring these guys on a daily basis. Yeah. And oftentimes angels will go in kind of earlier, right? Really, um, angels will go be the first round and then hopefully it grows up and goes to Pelion or any of the great firms here in the state of Utah, right? And you guys fund the seed or the A round or whatever the case may be. T totally. And you, you know, and the other firms here locally, they're like, we, we have a very conscious approach on we want to be, we want to be friendly. We know we'll compete at sometimes, but we always see how can we, how can we make room for all of us? Yeah, like I said, it's a team sport yeah. in a lot of ways. Venture is. I didn't understand that before I got into the business uh, many years ago. Okay, so you you spoke. I want to. So two two more personal questions. We'll wrap this up. You spoke about you know how rough and tumble it is, how up and down it is. It's a roller coaster. I've experienced that myself. It can be all consuming. Again, most first and foremost, you're a you're a husband and a father. 
how do you not bring that home to Sandy? You know, like give us some tips. Cause you know, I, I've had a couple of young entrepreneurs on the podcast, like Joseph Woodbury of neighbor, which is another deal we did together. Right. Yep. Anyways, let's not start listing them cause we'll forget <laughs> them. But, but, um, you know, and these are the kind of things that he's asking and thinking about is, you know, how do I run this super high growth, exciting business, but still again, be a dad and a husband or some of those more important things, roles that we have in life, even though these are critical. What advice would you have for that? Like what, how have you, where have you failed there? Where have you done well? Give, give the entrepreneurs and VCs out there some advice. Yeah. So here, here's, I fail a lot more than I succeed. Um, <clears throat> my oldest daughter, her name's McCall, McCall Weeks. She married a, a, a kid here from Provo, Tanner. And uh, when she first graduated from high school, uh, she'd come and, and temp for us. When our receptionists go on vacation, she'd sit at the front desk. And she was sitting at the front desk for us for a week. And at the end of the week, I went to her and I said, McCall, you know, I'm, I'm all excited. Like, she said, she, I got her in the office. Like, so much fun. I said, McCall, like, what would you think? She goes, I hated it. <laughs> and I went, what? She goes, I hated that. This is like the worst ever. And I, and I was like, well, what do you mean? And she goes, dad, you bring so much stress to the office and I don't think you even know it. Like, like the, your demeanor. Really? And, she said, this Oh thing. yeah. That's I mean, good. She yeah, totally that's called good. me out on it. Wow. And it was one of those things where first of all, I had to step back and go, okay, so how am I acting at home? Yeah. How do I act to like my partners are my best friends. And if I'm, if I'm doing that to my daughter, yeah. like <laughs> what am I doing to those guys? Yeah. And it was like this, this great, uh, great life lesson. Like, like I am failing as, uh, as a guy running the firm here in, in so many aspects. And so I've always tried to like, you know, almost check myself. I honestly, I check in with my, all my daughters to say, how am I doing? <laughs> and what's great about my daughters is they'll tell me. Yeah. So, so <laughs> when so I think cool. of, when I think about That's success, funny. it's like, like, can you admit your failures? Like, like seriously. And, and can you say sorry? Yeah. And if you can, if you're not doing that, why? Yeah. And anyway, that, that was like this big. That's you know, so interesting. Yeah. That was like a decade ago when I thought I was on top of the world. And it was like, bam, <laughs> slammed yeah. to the mat. Nothing like daughters. I, I had Coach Pope on who has four daughters and he said that they'll just lay it on him after a lot. So, and by the way, I'll say I have one daughter, three sons. My daughter's the hardest on me too. Yeah. She'll hear this and then she'll give me a hard time. But um, yeah, that's cool. So, so we oh, go ahead, Blake. Were you going to say something else? Oh, no, I just. Daughters are the best. They are. They are. It's great. Me. I. I wish I had a couple more. Um, so to wrap up, you know, we've kind of spanned the gamut here. We've talked a lot about finance and venture capital and successes and and failures. Um, but what other life? I, I often like to wrap up with this or ask my guests. So we've talked about venture and finance, but again, we're all fellow travelers. We all have great things about us. We all have bad things. We all have strengths and weaknesses. We're all fellow travelers. We need compassion. What are any life lessons? Like, how would you sum it up so far, Blake, for yourself? Or what are there life lessons that maybe don't surround venture and business are critical to you, important to you? Um, you know, give us a parting shot with some life lessons from Blake Modrzycki. Yeah, you know, interesting question. I, I I mentioned in the onset this this book, uh, the Go Givers, and you know, um, I did I you was, read this recently? By the way, I haven't heard of this. No, I I I was given to me from a friend by a friend maybe 
12, 15 years ago. It's called Go Givers. Go Givers. Okay. And it's like, it's like a hundred pages long. And, you know, I, I threw it in my bag and I was like, you know, um, I, I don't, I don't do this stuff. Well, Sandy and I were celebrating our 20th wedding anniversary and we'd gone on vacation. Um, and I'd, I'd read everything I brought, like done all my crossword puzzles. Like I didn't have anything <laughs> else to do. And I'm like, all right. So um, I, I pull this book out and Sandy sees me and I start to read it. And I'm like two pages into it and I shut it and she goes, that bad? And I actually walked into the gift shop and I bought a, uh, a highlight marker and I started to read it because I was going through this, this really difficult uh, situation with, uh, with a couple of, of uh, the people on my team. And what I realized is I was the problem. Hmm. Like, like I needed to show more kindness, more patience. And in this book, uh, there's this this guy who is this hardcore sales guy, driver, like looking for success. And the harder he drove, the less success he had. And he met this guy who was, you know, he was the giver. He was the go-giver. And he just spent, you know, time and time and time giving. I needed to realize that I needed to find somebody to coach me. And that was hard for me because I was just like, I don't know. But, but that just that reiteration and constant reminder of kindness. I've given you a couple of examples. You guys are all going to think that like I'm a horrible individual and not very kind <laughs> because I have. Blake, I, I've already <laughs> said that you, you, your reputation is one of kindness, but, but keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, it's we like, all fall short. You know, are you being kind? In general, like I, I, I joke with my wife sometimes, like I'm going to go get a tattoo that says kindness on it. And she just kind of looks at me like I've really <laughs> lost my mind. But, but that, that helps keep me grounded on multiple fronts. And it's been these little life lessons throughout my life where it's been this constant reminder that like you can never give too much kindness. And, and it, like I, I had a conversation yesterday where I had somebody remind me that of that wonderful principle again. And so I like, I try to think about that. So when I think about life lessons, you know, ask yourself, you know, when I die, what are people going to say about me? Yeah. And like, that's kind of, and like really take that inventory. And if you'll do that, trust me, you'll find, you'll find your touchdown. Yeah. I love that. We are often the problem. Yeah. Um, Real quick, when when did you read? So I'm trying to. How old were you, roughly? Just when you read that book and you were having these thoughts? Yeah, I was in my early 40s. Okay, so early 40s. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I thought I was on. Have you gone of, back and and read that, or uh, you just I, think about it all the time? I, I, I've read it multiple times. I've given the book away to to a bunch of people. Um, yeah, once again, it's like a hundred pages, and yeah. you know. For me, it was really impactful, but it wasn't so much the con. Like it's a it's a fun story, but it was this principle around kindness and giving, yeah, without expectation of return. Yeah, we can all do better at that. Oh. And Blake, you're pretty good. <laughs> thanks for being on the podcast with me today, Blake. It's always fun to be with you, Jeff. Thanks for having me, dude. I love this podcast. By the way, I'm I'm, uh, I'm an avid listener, so uh, thank you. Thank you so much. I loved having you on. Thank you. 
Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed that little overview of venture capital. I often feel like venture capital, private equity, et cetera, is, is often misunderstood. So I, I really hope that you found that interesting. I, I sure love Blake Monarzycki. He's a great guy. He's been a good friend for a decade or more now and love what he's doing. Here, here are my two takeaways from the podcast. Number one, he, I love that. I, I kind of had forgotten he grew up on a farm. As soon as he said it, I remembered in this little farm in Idaho. And I love that I can still kind of sense that from him. Here he is in a very technical and whatever, highly thought of job, a venture capitalist, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. He's a farmer still, you know, he still has a little bit of this farmer mentality and that's just endearing. And I love that. Number two, at the end there, I, I love how he spoke about how we are often the problem. You know, I surely have found that in my life. There's challenges all around us, different personalities, different people, I'm often the problem, you know, um, that's, that's the flaw and mistake in all of us. Let's always make sure and look internally, look inside of our own hearts, inside of our own minds, our own souls. We can always get better ourselves. I know often we're too often our, our largest critics. Sometimes we are the problem and we can get better. I appreciated that reminder and, and enjoyed that. Thanks again. Share this with a friend. Uh, the Extraordinary Us podcast is growing a lot right now, and, and the best way to grow it is to leave a rating review and share with a friend. Please do that. And thanks again to my good friend Blake, or Big B, he's called sometimes, for coming on today. Hope you learned something and were inspired in some way. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Us podcast with Jeff Burningham. Please help us grow by leaving a rating and review and subscribing at your favorite podcast platform. Also, tell your friends and share on social media. See you again next week. What's up, guys? Thank you so much for your support and love for the Extraordinary Us podcast. We just got news that we are in the top 2% of podcasts in all the world. So please keep loving and listening and share with a friend. But also, there's another podcast that Sally and I are doing together. There is. It's called Under Our Bed, and you've heard about it. You've heard the promos. You've heard it, and guess what? It's actually out it's now. Here. You can actually find it. You can really listen to it now. <laughs> it wasn't like a fake tease and then <laughs> pulled away. It's really there. It's a real podcast. It is a real fake. podcast. Sorry, guys. It took us a, a little bit longer to get it published. We're not great at this, but Under Our Bed is here. You're going to love it. <laughs> just so sure of that. I'm just so confident. Episode one, we talk about why the name and explain the name. Episode two, we talk about... Doing the unexpected. The joy the of joy doing the unexpected. In upcoming episodes, you'll hear more exciting topics. So tune in and subscribe now. Good night, Sal. Good night.